fantastic fruit and where to find it. Of course, I'm playing with a movie title uh, uh, that's playing here in this, in this building, and this is part four. So uh, this has to do with the fruit of the Spirit, the famous fruit of the Spirit that we see in the book of Galatians. If you spent any time in church, you've heard of this passage, you know, the fruit of the Spirit and these, these amazing characteristics that people want in their lives. So just to review, tell me what they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> the, the patience and the self-control is a big deal. Always the, the heavy hitters are the patience and the self-control. I don't know why that is. You're missing one. Actually, you're missing a bunch. It's a trick question. Gentleness has already been mentioned. You're missing one. You know, not gentleness. No, 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 no. Facebook, YouTube, they're, they're not doing good in here. You're, you're missing one. No. It's actually three words in the English translation. Three words. No. No, no. We should have a quiz on this one with, a, with an iPad to give away. And the like. And the like. Now you see the and the like part in the acts of the flesh or the sinful nature. But the implication is the and the like would also apply to the fruit of the Spirit. So the list is not a closed list. We think of the nine fruit of the Spirit or the nine fruits of the Spirit and they are. You know, and we think of it this way, but the way that it's written is, and the like. So, characteristics like this as well. Now, it's a pretty, pretty comprehensive list as it is, but it's not meant to be a shut, closed list. Nothing else is allowed. Uh, because, again, in the acts of the sinful nature, you see this, and the like. This is in Galatians chapter 5. So, we're trying to build a foundation with this whole thing of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, we love these characteristics in our lives, but how do they develop? And where do we find these characteristics? So, in the first part, we talked about the basic premise that Paul, the writer, he has his identity established in, in God and in the gospel. So, he, he is of the opinion that that is the first and foremost uh, reason why he does what he does. He's not doing it to impress other people. He's not doing it to gain the approval of other people. And regardless of his past, him being a vicious persecutor of Christians and of this new church, this new community, in spite of that, he bases his identity on Jesus, on God, on Christ. And so this is a critical piece if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you, you should have a firm grip on your identity. I get a bit of ringing in the, in the house, Omar. You might want to drop my fader a bit if it's annoying out there. I, I'll let you be the judge. Uh, so you want to be the, um, you want to have your identity firmly planted in God. Do this by asking yourself the question, who am I? Whatever answer you get is going to determine your, the choices that you make, the beliefs that you have, 
Who am I? In, in, in the second message, we talked about blind spots. And we saw this confrontation that uh, Paul had with, with Peter. And we, we use Peter there as an example of he's got these blind spots. You know, he flip-flops in his position uh, about, you know, before he's, he's uh, having food and fellowship and communion with non-Jewish people. And then when these super, you know, elite Jewish people come from Jerusalem, from the church over there, Peter changes and he wants to be liked by those people. And Paul says, you're a hypocrite. And he really challenges him and calls him out. He calls everybody out who's part of this whole thing. And he says, you're wrong in what you're doing. And you, you, why did you change your view and so on? We talked about blind spots and how you can slip out of sync with the Holy Spirit very, very easily. And Peter did this, and he's, he's not doing the right thing by by uh, that behavior. And so we saw that confrontation. It's in Galatians chapter 2. And then last week we looked at these two moms uh, for Mother's Day. They're mentioned in Galatians 4, uh, Sarah and Hagar, right? And Paul, he will use these two moms as an example in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to cover chapter 3 a little bit today. But chapter 4, he will talk about how Hagar, whose son was Ishmael, is the child not of the promise, but of the flesh, in the sense of this, this trying to do things on your own without God, uh, this, this nature that we have that's bent up against God. And he takes this and he, he says it can be representative. He allows us to broaden the meaning of the story. And he says that it can be representative of the flesh and the promise. So Ishmael, Hagar, that's from the flesh, according to the way Paul looks at it. And then Sarah and her son, Isaac, this is the child of the promise, and who eventually comes from that line, that line of Isaac? Jesus does. And so Paul draws this interpretation out in Galatians chapter 4. It's actually quite complicated the way that he does it, but I'm just making it simple for you. We talked about those two moms last week. You watch these messages and listen to them online if you like. Now today, we're going to talk about the, this theme of beginning with the Spirit. This comes out of Galatians chapter 3. And again, what's a Galatian? A Galatian's a person who lived in Galatia. Galatia's a province in what would now be uh, uh, Turkey. So back in the first century, you had this church that the Apostle Paul planted, and he's addressing this church in this letter. And we have to try and figure out why is he addressing them? What's he want to say? What's the story? What's the occasion? Right? We reviewed all this. Now, chapter 3 of, of this book, you see... Again, Paul, in his typical style, he's extremely direct with his audience. And I've already said to you, not every one of you is a Paul, okay? Some of you may have a little bit of Paul in you, but not every one of you is a Paul. If Paul were here today, Paul would be probably kicked out of most churches. He would be considered too direct. He would be considered too edgy, too confrontational. Uh, too angry. I mean, he would not do well 
in a 21st century, you know, Western context. <laughs> uh, he's too politically incorrect. He's, he had an edge to him. And sometimes Christians look at Paul and they read Paul and they say, we've all got to be like Paul. And we don't care what anybody thinks about us. And we have to toe the line of righteousness and spirituality and Christianity. And if everyone, the more people that hate us, the better. Because we're being persecuted in the name of the Lord. And that's, what, that's a real Christian. Paul's a real Christian. Not for this wish-washy, wishy-washy, uh, politically correct Christianity. No, we all need to be like Paul. And when we do that, we're, we're not seeing... Paul's personality, okay? He had a personality that had an edge. It doesn't mean you have to copy his personality. What he teaches, though, is what we need to learn from. So not all of you are as confrontational as Paul, but look at the way that he introduces his chapter. And we've put the chapter headings and the, all of that in in modern translations. He's continuing a conversation here from chapter 2 and this confrontation with Peter and why he confronts him. And he's, and he's going to ride this argument for a whole chapter. He's, he's frustrated with his, with his audience. And look at some of the questions that he asks. Uh, did Jesus die for nothing? Are you justified by the law of Moses? Remember, his whole argument and what he's fiercely trying to to preach and uh, to, in a sense, protect is the idea that a person, whether they're Jewish or they're not Jewish, regardless of their spiritual background and their ethnicity, regardless, they are justified by God which is fancy language for they are saved, they become a Christ follower. Why? By faith in Christ. Point final. That's his argument. And what they wanted to do was add all of this other stuff on top of it. And especially to these non-Jewish people who were coming into this, this new faith and becoming part of, the, of, of these churches all across the Roman Empire, there was a group that said, no, these folks here who are not Jewish at all, they have no knowledge of Moses and the law and the, all the spiritual and ceremonial and civil law and all of these things. They have no knowledge of this. No, no, no. They have to follow the law. The men have to be circumcised. And ouch, said all the men. And that's a joke. I heard the people on Facebook laughing. I could hear them laughing through the thing. So it, it, add all these layers onto it, and they'll be okay. But it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus all of this. And Paul said, no, no, no. And he, he's going to ride this argument. Are you justified by the law of Moses? Are you so foolish? <laughs> Confrontational. Who has bewitched you? Like, who put a spell on you that you believe this nonsense is what he's saying? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And then he'll say, what then is the purpose of the law? And he's going to go into this argument for a whole chapter. And he'll say, listen, it's because of your faith in Christ 
It's faith that justifies you. It's not a bunch of works that you have to do. It's not a bunch of religious laws that you have to follow. It is by faith. And he's going to use all these arguments. He's going to say, look at Abraham. He believed God, verse 6 of chapter 3, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Emphasis on the word belief. So Abraham, who we looked at last week, Abraham is whose wife? Oh, whose husband? Sorry. Gender's so confusing these days, right? <laughs> this is a joke of God. A dangerous joke. He, Abraham is whose husband? Sarah, good, okay, and his name is, is, is Abram before, and then it's changed to Abraham, right, and, and you go from Sarai to Sarah, you go from Abram to Abraham, so you can, this is back in Genesis chapter 15, Paul says, look, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, this is before the law of Moses, the book of Genesis, he believed God, you see, you've got to believe God, and he even goes further, and he says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham, so he goes back to Genesis chapter 12, and he says, remember what God said to Abraham, or Abram, who had no children at the time, all nations will be blessed through you. All nations, all nations. Paul says this is the gospel in advance. The scripture, he says, foresaw, as if the scripture is somehow alive, the scripture foresaw that God would justify not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, non-Jewish people by faith. And look, here's how he said it. All nations will be blessed through you. Wow, this is a mind-blowing interpretation of this promise. If you sit down with Jewish people today and you explain this to them, they are either going to stop the conversation and tell you to leave or they're going to embrace it. It's going to be one response or the other. And most of them will say, stop the conversation. I don't want to hear your bizarre interpretation or your prophet or whatever Paul's bizarre interpretation of our promise from Genesis chapter 12. It is that striking the way that he interprets this. He says, this is the gospel in advance. All nations, Jewish, Gentile, doesn't matter will be blessed through you. And he goes through this argument, and he pulls verses from Deuteronomy, and he pulls verses from Leviticus, all of the books of Moses, and he's saying, it's about your belief, because if you try to follow that law as a means of justifying you before God, justification, simple way of saying it, just as if I never sinned. You want to follow that law to justify yourself before God, you're going to find that you can't. You're going to find it's actually counterproductive to you to try and follow that law to justify yourself before God. And he uses all kinds of examples, to, and he pulls from the Old Testament that this audience would apparently know, and he's saying you cannot do it that way. 
You must do it by faith. You must come to God by faith. You must come to Christ by faith. This is always the way that it has been. And this is always the way that it will be. This is his argument. Now buried in these questions that he has for the Galatians in the, in the beginning of the chapter. He says this. And this is what I want to focus on today. After beginning with the Spirit. Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Some translations will render this by the flesh. The Greek word there can be transliterated sarks. This is, the, this is the, that nature inside of us that has a bent up against God. Paul says in Galatians 5, that nature of the flesh is in conflict with the spirit. The spirit is in you, the flesh is in you, and the two of those are in conflict with one another, he says. And this is the internal kind of battle that the believer deals with. They have the life of the spirit within them. We'll explain that in a moment. But they also have this nature. Some of you, you may have been taught that when you become a Christian, it's like, well, you know, didn't Paul say you're a new creation? Old things have, have gone, have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's sort of like God hit the restart button on your life like a computer. You know, he hit the reset button on your phone or he wiped clean your phone and you get a brand new clean start. This is not what he's trying to say there. It's not that your, your, your past is, is wiped away. There's no consequences for the choices that you've made. There, it, God gives you a blank slate. He wipes away everything and, you know, he just it magically erases everything. No, what, what's being said is there's a new life inside of you. You are a new creation. All of those ways that you used to live... Those things have passed away. You're not living that way anymore. You're living new. It doesn't mean that you don't you, you, that you lose those memories. It does, and it doesn't mean that you still don't have that thing inside of you that wants to bend against God and wants to 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 uh, rebel against Him. You still have that thing inside of you. And you will still have that thing inside of you until the day that you meet God face to face. You still have that. Paul still had it. He talks about it in Galatians. He talks about it in Romans. He talks about it to the Corinthians. He still had it. And he was of the opinion that every believer still has that thing inside. But now, because of their new life in Christ, they can live differently in spite of it. Do you see the difference? So here in chapter 3, he asks this question. You began with the Spirit. Are you now trying to attain your goal with the flesh? What happened to you? What's wrong with you that you're adding all of this religion to your fresh faith? It was your fresh faith that gave you the Spirit. You started with the Spirit. Why is it that after beginning with the Spirit, you're now trying to attain your goal by the flesh? Now, the problem with this passage is Paul assumes that his, his audience knows what he's talking about. 
when he talks about the Holy Spirit, when he talks about, you know, even through the book, this conflict between the flesh and the spirit, he's assuming that his audience knows what he's talking about. In particular, the question of who is the Holy Spirit or even what is the Holy Spirit, he's assuming they know. Now, he's probably assuming they know because this isn't the only time that he taught them about these things, right? He planted this church. You can see traces of it in the book of Acts. And so he would have taught these people who, who or what is the Holy Spirit. So he's assuming a level of knowledge on their part as he writes the letter. And we kind of, we are sort of spectators to this dialogue that he's having with this church in Galatia. But the problem, I think, today in the 21st century church, even though, you know, we have the New Testament and we're so sophisticated and we walk around with it on our devices and our phones, I don't think we have the same level of knowledge that this audience had. I think that we, even with all of our sophistication today and all of our intelligence today, I think that we're kind of confused about who the Holy Spirit is or even what the Holy Spirit is. I don't think we have a firm grasp on that. And even in churches that profess to be, you know, uh, like ours, we profess to be Pentecostal. I, I don't know sometimes if we even understand what that means. Uh, you know, we have our own uh, distinctive about the Holy Spirit and so on and so on. But I don't even know if we understand truly what that means. And sometimes I think we assume that we do, but we need a sort of a reminder, a refresher. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? And have we even begun, as Paul says, beginning with the Spirit. So what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four slides with a, with a pile of passages from the Scripture that are all kind of paraphrased by me. And what you can do with these slides, take a little picture of them, or if you want them, I can, I can uh, email them to you on request. And what you want to do with this, a really good trick for you, if you want to understand who the Holy Spirit is, and this would be a very good idea for you if you want His fruit in your life. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. How can you do that if you don't even know who He is or what He is? How can you, how can you even do that? And so you, you need to begin with the Spirit. So I'm going to give you a series of things here. What you can do is you can go to these passages and, and take a little, a little notepad or a piece of paper next to your Bible or your phone or your device or whatever, and I want you to read these passages as an exercise. It's a little bit of, um, you know, if you don't know how to read the Bible and you're getting acquainted with the Bible, this would be a really good exercise for you. And I want you to write down or type on your screen attributes that you see about the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, you will be stunned by what you find. You will be shocked by what you find because most of us do not think about these things and do not process these things, and we're not thinking about them practically, and yet we want the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But we don't have a foundation of who He is or even what He is. So here's a little bit for you, okay? You will see this in John chapter 3, famous conversation that Jesus has with who at night? 
Nicodemus. He has a conversation with this a, a very intelligent religious guy, a member of the Jewish ruling council who comes to him. And Jesus says, you must be born again by the Spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, it is by the Spirit. And Jesus emphasizes that this is obligatory. He, for him, this is not an optional thing. And he says, you're born, you must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit, is how he terms it. And he tries to describe the Spirit in metaphorical terms as wind and so on. The word spirit uh, in the Greek can be translated wind or breath or spirit. It's uh, pneuma. Uh, we get um, uh, lungs, pneumatology, this kind of thing. This is the word that's used in the, in the Greek language. We must be born again by the spirit, Jesus says. Fascinating. You look at Jesus' teaching in John 14, in John 16, as he's coming to the end of, his, of his, uh, his ministry on earth, and he's going to face execution, he's going to face the cross. Jesus promises them that while he's leaving them, he is going to not leave them alone because another one just like him will come. This is the person, Jesus identifies him uh, with pronouns as if he's a person just like Jesus. This is the word that's used. In the Greek language is uh, sometimes translated counselor, uh, uh, one just like him, one coming alongside, who is sent by both the Father and by the Son. So by God the Father and by God the Son, yes, I'm referencing the so-called Trinity or the Godhead that we see mentioned throughout the Scripture, to live in us. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm going to send him. The Father is going to send him. In fact, I will ask the Father to send him, and he will live in you. And if you look at John 14 also, Jesus even says that the Father and the Son will come and abide and make their home with the believer. As if to say, you get the Father, you get the Son, and you get the Holy Spirit. Whoa, that's a mind-boggling thought. So just to, to break it down, make it really, really simple for you, when we talk about this term Trinity or Godhead or triunity, we don't even see these terms specifically in the Bible. The closest one we see is the Godhead. And we see this, Paul uses this term once in a while. What we see from Genesis to Revelation is we see indeed one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God. So nowhere in the Bible do we see uh, a support that, uh, that there's more than one true God. This is a polytheistic view. The Bible clearly is monotheistic from cover to cover. But what we see in the Bible, very odd, is that we, when we ask the question to the Bible, what is God? We, we get answers like, well, God is spirit. God is immaterial. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. 
uh, he is one. We see these kinds of terms. We say, well, what is God? But when we ask the scripture the question, who is God? We will see the Father is identified as God. The Son is identified as God, that's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is identified as God. It's very unusual. We call this, this uh, we observe this and we say, well, this is a tri-unity. One God existing as three distinct persons. He doesn't have three heads. He's not a three-leaf clover. He's not ice water and steam. In fact, there's no analogy that's going to work that you can pick from the natural world to try and illustrate the Trinity. All of them fail and ultimately end in weird teaching. So the best way to say it is God is one what and three who's. No, he doesn't have uh, multiple personality disorder. No, he's one God and three who's. What is God? He's spirit. Who is God? Well, he's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of them are active at the same time, and they're all distinct, but all three persons are God. Do you see that so far? All right, just, just to give you a really quick, this really, really simple. So Jesus says specifically, I'm leaving, but at the same time, me and the Father are going to make our home with you, even though I'm leaving. Odd. But I will send the Spirit, and He will be in you. He will be in you. And what does He do according to Jesus? He convicts. So to, to convict means you, you have a sense of what you did was morally wrong or morally right. This is a conviction. This is beyond conscience. This is the work of the Spirit as He convicts you and convicts the world in particular of transgression, of sin. This is what the Spirit does. Now, by the way, that's not your job. That's the Spirit's job. You make a lousy Holy Spirit. Just saying. Some Christians, they're on a high horse, and all they do is point out people's sin as if they're the Holy Spirit. Dangerous. Such Christians usually have all kinds of buried sin underneath their treasure chest. Just to be a little Pauline with you, a little direct with you, uh, you, you be careful of that, okay? You're, you make a lousy person of the Holy Spirit. That's his job. He convicts. He speaks according to Jesus, John 14. He guides. He teaches he reminds us of all that Jesus has said. So it's clear that for Jesus, this is a person. He doesn't specifically say in John 14 and John 16 that he is God, but you, you, you put together a picture and you say, well, how can't he be God? Because he seems to be doing all of the things that God does, and he seems to be doing all of the things that Jesus can do, and he, the, 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 there's, an, there's an implication that, wow, this is as if God would be living inside of a person through this counselor, this one coming alongside, this spirit that Jesus speaks of in John 14, John 16. That's just Jesus. Presumably, Paul knew this, and presumably, he taught the Galatian church this. But even if you look at Paul and what Paul writes in other places in the scripture, I will only use Romans 
uh, chapter 8. Uh, but you see this in other places in Paul's writings, but specifically in Romans chapter 8. I see you taking pictures. Excellent. You're going to have fun doing this, this on your own. You will see. He is, according to Paul, speaking of the Romans, and by the way, Romans and Galatians are often read side by side. Uh, we call this the, the literature of protest in uh, New Testament theology, the whole Protestant Reformation. Uh, built on the idea that we are saved by faith, not by works, not by the church, not by doing all kinds of good things, not by the priest, not by all of that stuff. We're saved by faith. Galatians, Romans often used to defend this. According to Paul, Romans 8, he is the spirit of God. Paul also uses the term the Spirit of Christ. He uses pronouns to describe him. He doesn't say it, 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 uh, as if the Holy Spirit is like the force out of Star Wars or some blob or some ghost. You know, in King James Version 6011, Holy Ghost. Ay, 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 ghost. I mean, that's the word that they would use at that time. Spirit is probably a better rendering of that Greek word uh, pneuma, breath. Spirit, um, uh, wind, but ghost is going to lead you down a weird view of the Holy Spirit as if he's a ghost uh, from a movie that's playing in one of these theaters. He's not a ghost. He's a person. If we have the Holy Spirit if we have Christ. So Paul or, or John would say, uh, uh, he who believes and receives Christ receives the Son, has life. He would write in, in, uh, in, in a letter later on, he would say, if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And Paul says, if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. Implication, the moment that you come to faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have to be baptized to have the Holy Spirit in you in water. You don't have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to have the Holy Spirit in you. Confusing, I know, but some folks say that. They say, well, we define the baptism in the Holy Spirit as a separate experience from salvation. The person must speak in tongues as a demonstration that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and only then and then alone do they actually have the Holy Spirit in, your li in their lives. No. The Holy Spirit is in your life the moment that you come to faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe about this whole tongues thing. And I'll get into that uh, on Pentecost Sunday in, in three weeks. If we have him, we have Christ. If we have Christ, we have him. What does Paul say besides that? He testifies. He intercedes. And, and he actually helps us to pray, Paul says. We don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, expressing for us things that we don't know how to say. It's like he goes between us and God. He intercedes. He testifies that we are God's children. More on that in a moment. He desires the things that God desires. And the desires of the Holy Spirit are against the desires of the flesh or the sarks. 
There's that conflict that Paul talks about in Galatians and in Romans 7 and in Romans 8. This, this, this kind of two people inside of you. One's on the left and one's on the right. You know, if you're a, let's see, if you're a Republican, the, the spirit's on the right and you're a Democrat. The spirit, anyway, that's another joke for you, another bad joke for you. It's like two people inside you and you're trying. I know I'm not in the United States, but Canadians love U.S. politics, just love U.S. politics. Uh, so he intercedes, he desires, and the desires of the spirit in conflict with the desires of the flesh. He helps us in our weaknesses. This, these are all things that Paul would have taught this church in uh, Galatia. And he taught them to the Romans. He taught them to the Galatians. He teaches them as he preaches them. And Paul here in, in uh, Corinthians, another example. He, and this is the Spirit, baptized us into the body of Christ. Say, what does that mean? When you become a follower of Jesus, you join, in a sense, the church. Not an institution, not a building, not a series of policies and rules and regulations governed by clergy or priesthood. No, you join the body of Christ by faith when you believe. Who puts you in the body of Christ? According to Paul, the Holy Spirit does. He baptized us into one body. Beyond this, he's very generous. And so he gives us gifts. Isn't that nice? He gives us all kinds of gifts. He gives us gifts that have to do with our wiring and our personality. He also gives us gifts that have to do with leadership. He gives us gifts that have to do with service. But he also, on occasion, gives supernatural kinds of gifts. That may happen once, twice in your life where clearly something supernatural is going on. All of this is by the Holy Spirit. Wow, he's very nice. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, he is a deposit and seal guaranteeing our inheritance to come, Paul says. So because you have the Spirit, and again, I will say it emphatically, you have the Spirit within you the moment the faith switch went on. The moment that you believed, the moment that you followed Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. This is the argument that Paul uses in most of his letters. He is the deposit and the seal seal like a like a wax seal that they used to use and the, the the leader would take his ring and put it right into that seal and you knew that it was it that authority was behind that letter this is the same thing he is a deposit and seal guaranteeing you eternal life guaranteeing you your inheritance to come and that god lives in us how? Specifically how? By the person of the Holy Spirit. And that you are becoming a dwelling place that God lives in by His Spirit. Paul will go even further to the Corinthians. He will say, your physical body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit. And the church community is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Locally, like this local church, and around the world. This is where the, the Holy Spirit lives in the believer. He does not need a physical room. He does not need a physical temple. There's no physical temple in Jerusalem anymore. There hasn't been for two millennia. God does not need that. What he wants is you. And he wants to live in you specifically. This is the beginning with the Holy Spirit. To understand these things, presumably the Galatians got this, and yet they're adding to all of this with all of these laws. This law, this law, this law. There's 600 some odd laws in Moses. When I say Moses, I mean the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. 600 some odd laws. Some people say 613 laws. You've got to follow all these laws. And men, there's one law that's going to hurt a little bit. That's another joke. The jokes are not working today. I know the Facebook people like them, but the audience in here is just that's not. Here's what he, what he will say to the Galatians in chapter 3, toward the end of the chapter. And, and you've, you've, you've got to get this. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing when you think of it. This is what he's saying. This is what uh, uh, the work of the Spirit, and he's talking about the church here. There's so, there's so many implications here. Um, you lost the stream? Are you restarting? Well, I'm going to wait for you to restart because I want the people online to get this. And maybe I'll tell a few jokes while we're waiting. But I'm a little scared to do that. You, you can see me blush. Um, if, you, if you're up here, you'd see me blush, okay, in my bad jokes. But I am going to wait for the people online here, and you let me know when you're back. We're making good time. I really uh, strongly believe, folks, that I'm a child of God. That's really important because the world around you will tell you everything but that. Everything but that. The world will press you into its mold to make you form your identity on anything else but being a child of God. And the Spirit of God, He testifies, He's preaching to you, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are a child of God. You have faith, your faith light went on. Christ lives in you through the person of the Spirit, and He's telling you, you are a child of God. And you, you've got to start living that way. This is the argument in, in Romans 7, Romans 8. This is the argument in Galatians 5. You are a child of God. Start living it. Stop living the other way and start living the new way. But get this, what he says. And this is, this is mind-blowing for today. Um, what he's saying about the church, what he's saying about the community of faith. I'll read the, the actual text from, from Galatians chapter 3. Are you back yet online? Good. Sorry about the cut. We lost the internet there, but we're back. You didn't miss much. You are all sons of God, sons, daughters, children of God. You are all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, again, the Spirit 
puts us into the body of Christ at salvation. Have clothed yourselves with Christ. Watch this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. So it doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is back then. You know, you're either Greek or you're Jewish, you're Gentile or you're Jewish, you're not Jewish. He's saying there is none of that. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. So slavery, in the, in the sense of being owned by someone, was extremely common back then. You would almost look at slaves in the same class as employees today. I mean, much of the Roman Empire were slaves. It was extremely common. Paul is saying there's none of that. In, in the, this new community of faith, there's no, well, he's a slave. Well, oh, he's not a slave. Well, she's a slave. Well, she's not a slave. Well, one's better than the other. No, there's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no slave. There's no free. Male nor female. Folks, it's mind-blowing what he's saying. Paul is often thought of as a misogynist. He's often thought of as being anti-women. People uh, cherry-pick passages that Paul uses in, in Timothy and in Corinthians. And he, he, they cherry-pick and they say, look how, how crude he is to women and the things that he says about women. Those passages, while difficult, are most of the time ripped out of their context to try and demonstrate that Paul was misogynistic. If anything, he's running counterculture by saying this. There's no male nor female. Well, you know, this is a male-dominated religious society, you know. The women should not speak, and they should not do this, and the people love to characterize Paul like that. Look what he's saying here. No male nor female. So what is the difference? For you are all one in Christ Jesus, what he's talking about in modern terms is he's saying there's a new community, there's a new kingdom, it's got no racial inequality, it's got no socioeconomic inequality, it's got no gender inequality, you're all one in Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless you, I will make you into a great nation, and you are heirs according to the promise. It's mind-blowing what he's saying. Now you say, well, I don't know if I see this, you know, there's some churches are not like this. Well, that's those churches' problems. Okay, but this is what this is Paul's view of what it should be. And this is because of the work of the spirit in people's lives. So uh, on on Thursday, uh, we were having our, our uh, prayer meeting uh, weekly. We do this for an hour on Zoom online. Go figure. And uh I don't know why we weren't doing this before. In a way, I'm thankful for the, the pandemic because, you know, it's a lot easier for, to do some things, right? You just turn your computer on, you turn your camera on, you turn your phone on. So here, I was on the road. So I'm on the road. I've got a couple of people logged in, and I'm hosting this prayer meeting on the road. 
and doing some errands, and I've got my phone on, you know, not in my hand, of course, and breaking the law, but I've got it mounted, and I'm running this prayer meeting and talking to these, these two people on the road. And, you know, we usually look at a passage of Scripture and relate it to prayer, and then each one of us prays, and that's it. It's really, really simple. And so we do our thing, and then, we're, we're, then we start to pray. And, you know, and I started to, to pray and then let the other two pray. And so I'm, I'm in the car and I'm driving. And I know this is going to sound really, really simple, folks. But we talk about, you know, we want the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to begin with the Spirit and you've got to stick with the Spirit. Don't add all this other religious stuff on top of what he wants to do. He works very practically and very simply in our lives. And the more we sensitize ourselves to him, the more we're going to see these characteristics start to develop in our lives. And they'll develop all at the same time. This is the way that the passage is written. So we're in the car and I'm listening to these two pray. And I can't look at my camera. I can't see their faces. If I do, you know, I'm going to see them like this. And they, they usually pray with their eyes closed like this. I pray with my eyes open most of the time. Maybe you're like me. If I close my eyes when I pray, I fall asleep. Just saying. So I keep them open. I don't see anything in the Bible that says, Thou shalt close your eyes and squeeze thine hands tightly when thine be praying. Amen. I don't see that, right? So I open my eyes when I pray. I walk around when I pray. So I'm in the car, and I'm driving, and I'm listening to these people pray. Oh, folks, it was just for a moment. I, it, I, it's like the, everything around me went silent. All the cars driving around, it's like they just, I couldn't even hear the cars anymore. And I hear these two people calling out to God. Mentioning the attributes of God. God, you are good. God, you are forgiving. God, you are gracious. God, you're... I'm driving the car like this, looking at all these people and all this life in front of me, and I hear the attributes of God. It's like it all went silent. I'm telling you, it was just a moment there, but I could sense that, wow, life is so much more than what I'm what I, in my little, my little box, my little you know, world of things that I have to do today, it's so much more to, than that. And I'm listening to the attributes of God voiced by these people as, as they're, it's like everything was in slow motion. It's like, wow, this, this is a real moment. This is a real wake-up call. And you know something, folks? The rest of the day, I think I was a little less irritable. I think I was a little more patient. I think I might have been a little more gentle. I think I might have been a bit kinder. I think I might have been a bit more loving. You could ask my family. They, they may say, no, he's lying. He's lying. But I, I, I think I was, folks. I think that there, that moment kind of fueled the rest of the day. And that, that, that's what Paul means. He says, you began with the Spirit. Why are you adding all of this stuff on top of him and what he wants to do in your lives. And if you want the, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you've got to get to know Him, the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, young people, 
in your schools. He wants to have those moments with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. He wants to remind you. He wants to teach you. He wants to, you to say to yourself, yes, 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 I am a child of God today. I'm not what this person just said about me. I'm not how, what this person just bullied me. I'm not what they say. I'm what God says about me, and I'm not going to listen to what they're saying and what they're screaming at me. And those of you, you're in families, you're married, you got wives, you got kids. God wants to speak to you in the practical days of your lives, in, in practical ways. He wants you to have those moments where you realize this is who I am and I live in you. Start living that way. Start seeing the fruit of the Spirit develop in your life as you make a decision to live that way. Say, well, how do I do that? How do I walk in the Spirit? What's the magic key that unlocks the door there? Well, we'll try to continue to unpack that over the next couple of weeks. But sometimes it's really simple, folks. It's just do we have our spiritual antenna up in the air to detect that He is speaking to us and that He is doing His work of reminding, teaching, convicting, all of those things he continues to do in our lives. Are we listening? I'd like the musicians to come and uh, just going to have a word of prayer with you and then let them play and enjoy themselves. And you can, uh, you can feel free to stay. And I love listening to them play and using their gifts. Uh, to, as it's a real blessing. Um, and those of you online will keep the stream going for a little while. Father, I thank you today for your word and uh, Lord, for each person who's in this room and uh, each person who's joining us online. Lord, I'm just so thankful you are at work in each person's life, even people who are not followers of you. In that sense yet, even though maybe they're that switch of faith that hasn't turned on, you are still working in their lives, God. You are trying to get people's attention. You are trying to call out to us. Lord, for those of us who, who are followers of you and who are believers in you, you are trying to testify. You are trying to convict. You are trying to remind. You are trying to teach us. Are we listening? Help us, Lord. Help us who are struggling. Some of us, we just, we just want that patience. We just need that patience now. We just need that self-control now. Lord, I pray that you would just give us moments with you when everything slows down, when everything goes quiet, and we know the, the voice, we know the prompting, we know the presence of the Spirit. Help us, God, to, uh, uh, to, to tune in those antenna, to listen to your voice. Lord, I pray you would encourage people today. There are people on the other side of this camera who are isolated and who are alone. There's people who are listening to recordings somewhere, God, and they're alone and isolated. Would you remind them of your presence, God? I pray for marriages and homes and families where it feels like, God, you're, you, you've run away from them. It feels like you've forsaken them. Would you remind people of your presence in their lives? We pray to together in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your kids in 11. If they are there, I'll be floating around at the bottom. Would love to greet you before you leave. If it's your first time here, please, please, please come and see me. I just want to take down some info that I can follow you up once again. God bless you. Have a great day today.
You are. 